Our topic for this morning is three steps to heaven. If I told you you could jump from here to the moon, you'd think I was crazy. It takes an awful lot of power to get a man or a few men off of planet Earth into space. And yet we know far beyond the sun, the moon, the stars is God's home in the universe called heaven. And there's no spacecraft that will ever be designed that can fly there. And yet you and I, we can get there by taking just three steps, three steps to heaven. Before we look at the three steps to heaven, let's ask ourselves what God will not allow to enter heaven. And we're going to read it from Revelation 21, 27. Revelation 21, 27, our first text this morning. And there shall in no wise enter into it, that's heaven, anything that defiles, neither whatever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who will enter heaven? Let's what? read Revelation 22, 14. Mark it down. Revelation 22, 14 says, Blessed are they that, what? Do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And the Bible told us in Revelation 21, 27, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defiles. Now, if we could sum up what defiles the world, defiles our lives in a three-letter word, what would that word be? That would be sin. Sin defiles the world and defiles us. And the Bible says in Isaiah 59, verse 2, you're taking notes, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Separated from God, separated from life, we die. So to live in the presence of a holy God, we must have the separation created by sin removed. We must experience the atonement. We must have... Number one, step number one to heaven, we must have our sins forgiven. Now, many people want to know how can they have their sins forgiven. Well, we want to see there are three ways to have our sins forgiven. This is actually not a complicated process. This is simple enough even a child could understand. There are three conditions to having your sins forgiven. Would you like to have your sins forgiven? Here is how. First of all, we must repent. Secondly, we must confess. And then restore. Re repentance, confession, restitution. Those are the three conditions to having your sins forgiven. And let's look at these, each one individually. We'll take the first one there. Repentance. What are we to repent of, sin, son? Sin. <laughs> what is sin? Well, the Bible tells us that sin, 1 John 3, verse 4, sin is the breaking, the transgression of the law. And how many people have sinned? The Bible tells us, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned. And what's the result? What's the penalty for sin, son? The penalty for sin, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. This is not just an ordinary death. This is eternal death. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's law. And the penalty for breaking God's law is what? Death. Death. But instead of giving us what we deserve, the penalty, the wages of sin, which is death, 
God offers us a gift. Salvation is a free gift, cannot be purchased. Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Mark it down, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is what? Gift. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What do we deserve? Death, because we've all sinned. But instead of giving us what we deserve, God offers us the gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. If we earn something, that's what we earn. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can he offer us life when we deserve death? He does it through Jesus Christ. When we see God's goodness in offering us life when we really deserve death, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love toward us leads us to want to repent. That's the first condition to having your sins forgiven, repentance. And it is God's goodness that leads us to want to repent. Let's notice that from Romans 2 verse 4. The Bible says, Romans 2 verse 4, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So it is God's goodness that leads us to want to repent. He paid our penalty on Calvary's cross. But not only did Jesus pay our penalty and take our place by dying our death, the Bible actually reveals to us that our sins killed him. Let's read that from Acts 2, verse 23. Here, the Apostle Peter is preaching his Pentecost sermon, and he says to the multitude, Him, that's Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So Peter says to the multitude, You crucified the Lord. Now when they began to realize that, well, reading on, first of all, he continues to say, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. What caused Christ's death on the cross? Sin. sin. Whose sin? My sin. So who killed Jesus? I did. You did. And when they began to realize back then when Peter said, You killed Jesus... When they began to realize the enormity of their guilt, they said, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were convicted, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice what St. Peter says. First words out of his mouth. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the Apostle Peter says, repent. What is repentance, Father? Repentance is the first condition to having our sins forgiven. And repentance involves two things. It involves, number one, sorrow for sin. And number two, turning away from sin or forsaking sin. There are many today who are sorry, not that they sin, they're sorry they got caught. That's like when I was driving in America one time. I was driving too fast, and I got stopped by the police for speeding. And they didn't give me any mercy. I had a big, fat ticket to pay, a fine. And after the policeman had given me my 
ticket, my fine. He let me go. And I was driving down the highway slower now. And I was feeling sorry. And the Holy Spirit began to talk to me. Lowell, why do you feel sorry? Are you feeling sorry for breaking the speed limit? I thought, no. I was sorry that I got caught. And the Holy Spirit said, that's not true sorrow. There are many that are sorry for getting caught. They're not sorry for their sin. And the only way we can really experience this true sorrow for sin is when we go to the cross of Christ. And when we, by faith, behold Christ suffering for our sins, bleeding for our sins, dying that agonizing death for us, then his goodness and love to us leads us to want to turn away from sin to Jesus who can save us from sin. That's repentance, sorrow for sin, forsaking sin. But it's not enough just to feel sorry for sin. There is a second condition to having our sins forgiven. What's that? Confession. Let's read about this one from 1 John 1, verse 9. You may have heard of this verse. St. John says, 1 John 1, 9, If we, what? Confess. Confess our sins. He, Jesus that is, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession means what? Two things. Number one, confession means to acknowledge, to admit wrong. And number two, to ask for forgiveness. That's what confession involves, to acknowledge sin and ask for forgiveness. But how can I know that I've been forgiven? What if I don't actually feel that when I confess my sins, I've been forgiven? Did that ever happen to you? You kneel down, you confess your sins, but somehow you just don't feel forgiven? Well, what does feeling have to do with the process of forgiveness? Let's read a text from the New Feeling Version of the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of this Bible. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through feeling, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> no, that's not what the Bible actually says. Here's what it actually says. For, For by, by grace, grace are you saved through what? Faith. Some people have the idea, if I don't feel some wonderful feeling, well, there must be something wrong with my religious experience, or there's something wrong with the church, or there's something wrong with the music, because I don't feel anything. If you're going by your feelings, you're on a dangerous road, because our feelings are sort of like a roller coaster. Sometimes they're up here, and sometimes they're down here. Don't trust your feelings. Are we supposed to walk by feelings, son? Not supposed to walk by feelings. The Bible says in Romans 1.17, but the just shall live by faith. Don't trust your feelings. When you confess, how can you know that you've been forgiven? How do you know? By feeling? By faith. You know you're forgiven because God promised it. He promised that when we confess, what will he do? Forgive. He will forgive. Did God lie? No. No. Our part is to confess. We confess to Jesus. He's the one that paid the penalty for sin. And when we confess our sins to Jesus or to God, what does God do? Forgive. He will forgive us. I might not 
Excuse me, I might not feel forgiven, but the promise is I am forgiven if I've confessed my sins to Jesus. Now, the good news is feelings usually will come as a result of our faith. The Bible says in Romans 5, 1, therefore being justified by faith, first of all, faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is peace a feeling? Yes. Oh, that's a wonderful feeling. But which comes first, the feeling or the faith? Faith. Faith, then comes feeling. But why do I have to confess my sins to God? He already knows them. Why do I have to tell him about my specific sins? Confession is not intended to change God. Confession is intended to change who? Us. To change us. Let me illustrate. Here's a picture of my sweetheart some years ago when we were working in uh, the former Soviet Union. Let's imagine that one day I get up and I get up sort of grouchy and I say some unkind words to my wife and I see the hurt look in her face and I think, oh, I wished I hadn't said that. Did you ever say something and you wish the next moment you hadn't said it? And so as I head off to work that day, I'm feeling guilty for my unkind words. And I finally, I send up a prayer to God. I say, dear God, forgive me for those unkind words. And I decide that as soon as I get home, I'm going to make confession to who else? Who else, ladies? To my wife. Now, why do I need to confess to my wife? Two things that confession accomplishes. First of all... Confession frees me from the condemnation of guilt, the burden of sin when I said those unkind words. But secondly, confession restores the broken relationship. When I said those unkind words to my wife, that strained our marriage. When I confess to my wife, that restores the love again. And I should clarify, I'm not making up an imaginary story. I've had to confess to my wife several times, and my wife is a real sweetheart. She's always willing to forgive me. I often said, well, I got a perfect wife, and she didn't get a perfect husband, but I, I got a perfect wife. Why do I need to confess to her? Is it to change her? No, it's to change who? What happens when we sin? What does sin do between us and God? Separate. What's confession then do? Restores the relationship. That's why the Bible says in James 5, 17, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We're to confess to the one that we've wronged what we did to them. We're to confess our faults. That doesn't mean that we're to confess other people's faults to other people. That's called gossip. But we're to confess our faults to the one that we've wronged. We must confess our sins directly to God. He alone can forgive us. But if we have wronged someone, like when I wronged my wife, then I must also confess to the one that I hurt. And they should be willing, if they're Christians, to forgive. Well, that's the second. We looked at the first condition. Repentance, sorrow for sin, forsaking sin. And then we looked at number two, confession, to acknowledge wrong and ask for forgiveness. Let's go now to the third condition to having our sins forgiven. Number three is restitution. What does that mean? 
That means to restore. Let's read about that from Ezekiel 33, verse 15. If the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he had robbed, walk in the statutes of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. So the Bible says we are to restore what we took. Let me illustrate this way. Let's say, Father, that I had stolen from you 100,000 pesos. Would you do that? I wouldn't do that, but we're using this as an illustration. So let's, let's imagine that I stole from him 100,000 pesos, and I come to a seminar like this, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict me. You are a sinner. One of the commandments says, thou shalt not steal. And I become convicted that what I did was wrong. And so I come to my father one day and I say, Father, I've got a confession to make to you. I'm the one that stole the 100,000 pesos. Really? It was you, huh? Yeah, and I've come to ask if you'll forgive me. Well, where's my 100,000 pesos? Well, that's your problem. I already spent the money. That way? No. What's he supposed to do? Supposed to restore. Supposed to give back. Let me illustrate something from my own life. Before I was a Christian, I was a thief. I went to this particular college you see in the picture here, and there at the college, I became a Christian. I was converted. But before I was converted, I was a thief, and one of the places I was stealing from was the cafeteria, stealing food. Many students were doing it, and I was one of them. And when I became a Christian, when I was converted, I was convicted out not to steal, so I stopped stealing food from the cafeteria. And then the Holy Spirit began to convict me, you should pay back to the cafeteria for the food you stole. I was thinking, oh, that's pay back? They charge too much for the food anyway. That's what all the students thought. And the devil came along with a long list of reasons why I didn't need to make restitution. And they seemed like logical reasons, but I had no peace. I was being convicted by God that I should pay for what I stole. Did I feel like paying? No. Well, finally, one day I put some money in my pocket. It was more than what I'd actually stolen, but I wanted to make sure I'd covered my bill. And I set my feet to go to the cafeteria I didn't feel like going, but I knew it was right. So I, I'm on my way. When I got to the director's office of the cafeteria, I thought maybe they'd kick me out of college. I put the money on her desk. I told her something to the effect that I had become a Christian and that I'd been stealing food from the cafeteria and I wanted to pay back what I'd stolen. She looked at me. She said, young man, since I've been the director here, I think you're the first young man that's ever done this. God is going to bless you for your commitment, for your honesty. How do you think I felt when I walked out of her office that day? When I went into her office, oh, my stomach was full of butterflies. I had a knot in my throat. My heart was a-pounding. You know, the devil was telling me, oh, don't do this. This is too hard. I did it anyway. When I went out of her office, how did I feel? Oh, I felt like I'd just grown another meter taller. I felt like I was walking on air. Great burden had rolled off my shoulders. I had done right. And so now I'm not under the condemnation of the law anymore. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. You've heard that text, not under the law. You're under grace. 
So since I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, I went back out to the cafeteria and I stole more food. You think? <laughs> Don't let anybody tell you that if you're under grace, you can break God's law. That's a lie. I'm not a thief today, thanks to God's grace. It was God's grace that changed my life. I told you one story. There were many things I had to go back and, and make right because I had been doing so many wrong things, and God helped me. I should clarify, you probably can't go back in your past and make restitution for everything you ever did wrong. But where you can and where God convicts you to do that, that's one of the steps for having your sins forgiven. So we've seen the three ways, three conditions to having our sins forgiven. Number one, repentance, which means sorrow for sin and forsaking sin. Number two, confession, to acknowledge wrong and ask for forgiveness. And number three, restitution, to give back, to restore what we took. And that was just the first step in our three steps to heaven. Let's move on now to step number two, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are. Step number two is the new birth. Jesus outlines this step. John 3, verse 3, if you're taking notes, John 3, verses 3 to 5, this is the new birth. Jesus answered and said unto him, he's talking to Nicodemus, who was a leader of the Jews, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So if we want to see heaven, enter heaven, we have to be born again. How are we born again? Verse 5 tells us how. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Here are the two steps to be born again. We must be born of water. What's that? That is baptism. And we must be born of the Spirit. What's that? That's conversion. And conversion must take place before baptism. How does a person experience conversion? How are we to be born of the Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us how in John 1, 12, and 13. But as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, here's the birth, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if I want to be born of the Spirit, what must I do? Must receive Jesus. As many as received him, they were born of God. Well, son, how do we receive Jesus? The Bible tells us how in Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door, Jesus says, and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The door is your choice. When you kneel down and say, dear Jesus, I invite you to come into my life, to be my Lord and my Savior, then you are receiving Jesus. Not my will, but I will. thy will be done, O Lord. When I surrender my life to the Lord and invite him to be my Lord and Savior, then I have been born of the Spirit. But is that the only part of being born again? There's another part, and that is to be born of water, which represents baptism. And, of course, baptism 
is the demonstration of the conversion that has taken place in our hearts. That's why the Bible says in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth, that's the conversion, and is baptized, number two, shall be saved. And we're going to look at baptism in a future topic. That's a new birth. So when a person receives Jesus as their Savior, their personal Savior, and takes the step of water baptism, then they have been born again. Second step to heaven. Let's move on to step number three. The three steps to heaven. Number three, we must follow Jesus in loving obedience. What kind of obedience? Loving obedience. Why should we obey? To earn our salvation? Well, we can't earn our salvation. We saw the only thing we can earn is death. The Bible tells us for the wages of sin, that's what we earn, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift. We can't earn a gift. If your employer hands you your paycheck and says, here's a gift, is that a gift? No. That's not a gift because you had to earn it. Salvation is a gift. It cannot be earned. That's why you read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is what? Gift. The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So since I can't earn salvation by obeying the Lord, then why should I bother trying to obey him? Well, that's a good question, and Jesus himself answers that question in John 14, verse 15. We're familiar with this verse. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. You see, Jesus is to be for us not only our Savior, but also our Lord. Lord. Do you know the difference? The Savior is somebody who saves me from sin. The Lord is somebody I obey. There are many, they want Jesus as Savior, but they don't want him as Lord. If he's not your Lord, he's not your Savior either. We obey Jesus. Why? Because we love him. Because we love him. Think about this. How were Adam and Eve to demonstrate their love and loyalty to God? How, son? Well, by obedience, by obeying God's one commandment, not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why, then, were Adam and Eve sent out of the Garden of Eden? What for? For disobeying. Well, now think about this. Since God did not allow disobedience to stay in Eden, do you think he's going to let it into heaven? No, that's why the Bible tells us, Revelation 21, 27, there shall no wise enter into it, that's heaven, anything that defileth. That's why we read in Revelation 22, 14, blessed are they that what? Do. Do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. You cannot earn your salvation, but if you're not willing to obey God... You can't be saved either. We show our love and loyalty to God by obedience. We're saved by grace. But we demonstrate our love for the Lord by obeying him. And if we're not willing to obey him, we can't say, I love you. It's like the little girl that told her mother, I love you. And then the mother asked her to do something. She said, no. I thought, oh, does she really love her mother? The Bible says, Bible says, Hebrews 5, 9, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation unto all those who what? Obey. Who obey him. 
Jesus saves those who obey him. By his death on the cross, think of this, Christ provided us with two things. First of all, he provides us with forgiveness for sin, cleansing for sin. He paid the penalty by his death. But secondly, number two, he provides us with victory over sin. Power over sin. Well, there's a Christian song. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the, in, the blood. in the blood of the Lamb. Is there really? Is there power in the blood of the Lamb? Yes. And so today, we want to consider how to be a victorious Christian. Probably everybody has at some point or another tried to gain the victory over a bad habit, over some addiction or some, something they're enslaved to. We're going to take, for example, smoking. Now, we're not here to pick on you if you're a smoker. We're using this as an illustration. You can put your particular addiction in here, whatever it is, whether it's alcohol or tobacco or lust or video games or whatever your addiction is. And some people try to stop smoking, but they can't quit. Why? Because the devil is stronger than we are. If you try, you find out very quickly if you don't have the strength. That's right. Other people say, well, I'm going to smoke just a little bit less today and a little bit less tomorrow and a little bit less next month until finally I quit. That's a sure way to keep smoking. That's like cutting off the dog's tail a little bit at a time to make it easy on the dog. It doesn't make it easy on the dog, and it won't make it easy on you either. The Bible never talks about tapering off on sin. You may have heard of the woman that was brought to Jesus that had been caught in the act of adultery. What did Jesus say to that woman? Did he say, now go taper off on your sin, commit adultery a little bit less and a little bit less until no. finally you quit? No. Is that what he said? What did he say? Go and sin no more. And in the power of Jesus, that woman began a new life, a victorious life. And so can each one of you, my friends. So today, we're not going to look at the trying method. That doesn't work. We're not going to look at the tapering off method. That doesn't work. We're going to look at the trusting method. Five steps to victory. And right here, we want you to take out your five-step card. Did you get the five-step card when you came in? Hello? Okay, pull out the card now. You don't have to take notes because you already have it in the card. You can see we have a screenshot of that card. That's the card you want to pull out. The five steps to victory. And we're going to go through these five steps. You have it there. This card is for you to keep. You want to claim victory today, you can put your name on the bottom of that card, put the, today's date, put it in your Bible or in your wallet or in your purse. This was the day you claim victory. Let's go through these five steps Together. Step number one is accept victory as a gift. Let's read about that from 1 Corinthians 15, 57, where the Bible tells us, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can anybody receive a gift? Yeah. Anybody that's willing to take a gift. So can anyone be victorious? Yes. Because it's a gift from God. It doesn't depend on your willpower. It's not your strength. It's a gift. God offers you victory as a gift. All you have to do is take it. That's number one. 
and you have it there in your card with the text. But to receive this gift, you have to, number ask. two, ask for victory. And our text is Matthew 7, verse 11. It's there on your card. Matthew 7, verse 11, which says, Jesus says, If you then, being evil, compared to God, we are evil. The most saintly saint compared to God is evil. So here he's comparing man with God. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. We like to do that. Give good gifts to our children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to, to who? Them that ask. ask him. So if you want victory, what must you do? Ask. Ask him. And if it's a good thing, what will God do? He will give. That's a promise. Whatever is, is victory a good thing to ask for? Oh yes. oh, yes. And the promise is, if we ask, if it's a good thing, he'll give it to us. You have to ask. Now, here, <clears throat> let me clarify that you should be careful what you ask for. When you ask God for something, be careful what you ask for. Because if it's good for you, he is going to give it to you. And you need to ask yourself, do I really want what I'm asking for? Do I really want victory? Uh, for example, I've met people that were smoking. And I say to them, would you like to quit? And they say, oh, yeah, I'd like to quit. I say, I could share with you a five-minute plan whereby you could stop smoking right now. And they give me the, this look like, I wished I'd never met you kind of look. They say, yeah, I'd like to quit, but not today. I want to quit, but not now. Do you really want victory? God can't give you something you don't really want. If you want it and you ask for it and it's good for you, then what? God will give it to you. God will give it to you. But the key really for victory is faith. We have to believe that God has given us the victory. We have to receive it by faith and accept that we are victorious by his strength. Now let us clarify something here. It's not a sin to be tempted. S temptation is not sin. It's when we yield to the temptation. It's when we cherish the thought, think about it, dwell upon it with pleasure. When the smoker lights the cigarette and puts it in his mouth, that's when the sin begins. See, he might have a craving. If he's a smoker, he might have a craving for a smoke. That's not sin. That's a temptation. When he pulls out the cigarette, <laughs> that's when he's fallen because he's going to light it and put it in his mouth. So the key here is faith. And that brings us to step number three. Step three, believe that God has given you the victory. Number three, believe God has given you the victory. Romans 6.11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves. Translate into modern English. Likewise, believe yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I believe I'm victorious. When I ask God for victory, then I believe. I tell my friends, I ask God to give me victory over tobacco. I'm not a smoker anymore. I'm showing my faith. I believe God gave me what I asked for. Now, when God gives you something, what do you say? You say, Maraming Salamat, right? Thank you very much. 
And the same is with God. When I, be- when I ask God for victory, I believe he gives it to me. Then I should in prayer say, thank you. Say what? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for giving me the victory over tobacco or whatever your bad habit is. That's showing your faith, showing you believe. Let's go to step number four. Number four, make no provision to fail. Our text is Romans 13, verse 14. It's there on your card. Where the Bible says, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That means I must not make provision to fail. Whatever my bad habit is, I have to close the doors of temptation. Person who has a problem with pornography, what should he do? What should he do with his internet connection? Disconnect his internet. It's better to have no Facebook and no email than lose your soul. What about a person that has a problem with video games? Well, then delete them off your phone or off your computer or stay away from the video arcade. That's actually addicting. Science has proven that video games are addicting. You try to quit. You'll find out it's not easy. Another addiction. What about a person that's got a problem with tobacco? He should get rid of his cigarettes. Get him out of the house. You see what a lot of people do. They say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to quit. And they take their pack of cigarettes and they take it over and they put it in the cabinet. And they say, I quit. But just in case. What have they done? They've made provision to fail. And the next morning they wake up and now they got the nicotine withdrawal. So who wears those cigarettes? Oh, yes, I remember where I left them. I've seen this happen many times. People, they say, I'm going to go through those five steps. And they tell me, I tried it. It didn't work. I said, did you get rid of your cigarettes? No. I left a pack in the car. If you want victory, you got to get rid of those things. Get rid of the cigarettes. Don't burn them up in your mouth. Give them to some relative that doesn't smoke and ask them to destroy them for you. What about a person that's got a problem with alcohol? He should pour out his alcohol. Flush the devil down the toilet. I heard of one young man after this lecture. He went home. He poured out 40 bottles of expensive European champagne. He wanted victory over alcohol. So he went home and there it went. I know another man. I, let me back up and mention the text. Make no provision to fail. Romans 13, 14. If I got alcohol in my home and I want victory, what must I do with the beer that's in my refrigerator? Huh? Got to get rid of it. I had a man come to me one time. And we've done this with scores of people. We'd be happy to do it with you if you'd like. We set up an appointment where we will go through with somebody the five steps. And this man set up an appointment with us to go through the five steps. And so we were visiting with him. I found out he was a church elder, elder of a church. And then I found out he was the elder of a Sabbath-keeping church. Seventh-day Adventist church. But this man had a vineyard. He was growing grapes, and he was making his own wine, and he had a problem with alcohol, creating his own 
wine. So he came. He wanted to go through the five steps and claim victory. And when we got down to number four, make no provision to fail. I asked that brother. I said, now, will you be willing to go home and pour out all of your wine, your homemade wine? His head went down. He would not look at me for the rest of the visit. He refused to make a commitment to go home and get rid of his, his wine. Do you think he ever gained the victory? Probably not. If I want victory over those things, I have to get rid of them. Get rid of the alcohol. Reminds me of the story of little Jimmy. He got in trouble when his mother told him not to go swimming. He went swimming anyway. And when he came home with wet hair... Mother said, Jimmy, why did you disobey me? I told you not to go swimming today. Well, Mama, I got tempted. And Jimmy's mother said, well, Jimmy, I, I saw you when you left the house today. You took your swimsuit with you. Well, Mama, I was expecting to get tempted. He was doing what? Making provision for the flesh. <laughs> Planning to fail. You'll never gain the victory if you're planning to fail. Number four, make no provision to fail. Let's go to number five. Number five, this is the power step. This is where we really get the power in the five steps to victory. Number five, watch and pray. Matthew 26, verse 41. Let's read that. Jesus says here, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we want to do what's right. The spirit is willing, but what's the problem? We have weak flesh. The flesh is weak. And the only solution to that is that connection with the Lord by watching in prayer. That means to watch for those areas where the devil comes in and tempts you by studying the Bible, by praying, by doing those spiritual exercises. Study of the Bible and prayer would close many doors of temptation that's why the Bible says in Psalms 119.11, Your word I hid in my heart, so that I might not sin against you. And Matthew 4.4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. How did Jesus overcome temptation? He said, what did he say? It is written. It is written. There's the power. Spend time with God's word and you'll have strength to say no to temptation. We have looked at the three simple steps to heaven. Step number one, having our sins forgiven by repentance, confession, and restitution. Step number two, experience the new birth, being born of the Spirit, being converted, being born of water, baptized. And step number three, loving obedience. And we have today looked at the five steps, the five keys to victory. Step number one, victory is a gift. Number two, we must ask for the vic victory, ask for the gift of victory. Number three, believe God gives you the victory. Number four, make no provision to fail. And number five, watch and pray. Suppose as I go through these five steps, and I hope you do, if you've got some bad habit, some addiction in your life, go through these five steps and claim victory. But suppose as I go through these five steps and I claim victory, what if I slip afterward? What if I fail? Should I quit? No. Well, it's sort of like, I don't know if this ever happened to you. You get in the shower in your home, and you are half soaped up, and suddenly the soap slips out of your hands. It falls to the floor. What do you do? 
Do you throw back the shower curtain? You say, forget it. I can't even hold the soap. I'm giving up. I'm quitting. It's no use. And you get out of the shower half soaped up. Is that what you do? (laughs) No, you bend over, you pick up the soap, and you go right back to washing. Mm -hmm. So if you fail, don't give up. That's when you really fail, when you give up. Bend over on your knees, say, dear Lord, I'm sorry. Please help me. Go back through those same five steps. Micah 7, verse 8, the Bible tells us, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. Though I fall, I shall arise. You can be a victorious Christian, trusting in the power of Jesus. Would you like to have victory? Today, we're going to pass you another card. This first card, the five-step card, is for you to keep. But this next one, Prophecies of Hope, the three, Three Steps to Heaven card, this is one that we're going to pass to you. Let's pass those cards now, please. And we're going to collect these because it says here, please pray that God will give me victory over. You might like to have somebody praying for you that you can be strong enough to say no to temptation, that you can be victorious. And we do have a prayer team that's working with us in our Prophecies of Hope program. So take one of these cards today, and we're going to go through this. If you need a pen, our helpers, I believe, have extra pens in their baskets. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com. Dot org.